0: Well thank you for joining us tonight as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. Tonight we'll be in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is getting towards the end of this sermon and tonight we're going to talk about the topic prayer. Prayer is effective. And so uh, let's begin by looking at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. This is a familiar passage and Jesus says this, "Ask." How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word, God. May you lead us tonight. May you guide us. May you cause us to hear from you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about prayer. And I think prayer is one of those things we all realize as Christians we need to be doing. It's also very difficult to do. Very few people would say, you know what, I think my prayer life is, is pretty much perfect. I'm right where I need to be. And really, on the contrary, most Christians I talk to, and myself included, prayer is one of those things that, that, that's hard for us to do. It's hard for us to do consistently. It's hard for us to do with persistence, and that's one of the things that Jesus talks about in this passage tonight. Now, this is not a a comprehensive teaching on prayer. We're not going to cover every aspect of prayer. In fact, prayer is something that Jesus has already talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to talk about persistence in prayer, and we're going to talk about the fact that God hears us when we pray. That's why we've just titled this, Prayer is effective. Now you might have noticed as we were reading, you read verse 12. This is this probably the most familiar thing that Jesus ever said. It's called the golden rule. And you might have felt like this this doesn't quite fit with what we've just been talking about. But hopefully tonight you'll see that it does fit. So we all know that we're supposed to pray. Uh, Martin Luther is famous for saying, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes, And of cobblers to mend shoes so it is the business of Christians to pray. J.C. Ryle said it this way he said I believe that those who are not holy pray little and those who are holy pray much. It's a simple thing to say it's harder to do but let's begin tonight with our first point just comes right from that very first verse verse 7 Well, notice the persistence of the one who prays. Look at what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. These verbs are present. They're active. They're imperatives. They're they're commands. They imply a repeated action, a continuous action. So really what Jesus is saying is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. He's highlighting and emphasizing this idea of persistence. And in fact, you just take that word, ask. It is mentioned in every verse in this passage. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, Jesus says, ask, ask, ask. But we'll see that this is less of a command and it's more of an imitation. Jesus is inviting us in. He's saying, ask, ask me. I want you to ask me. We see Jesus say this in other spots too. John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus was there at the feast. He stood up, he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Even the Bible comes to a close with an invitation. Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, Come and let the one who hears say, Come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament about this invitation to come before the Father is in Hebrews chapter 4. And it just says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come before the Father with confidence I know a lot of times, we might be hesitant to come to God. We know our own sin, we know our own doubts, we know our own failures, and we feel unworthy to come before Him. And maybe not just hesitant, but I think sometimes we can even just be forgetful. Persistence is hard. You think about how crowded maybe a gym is in January as everybody starts the year with New Year's resolutions and high hopes and then by about March and April, it started to taper off a little bit. Maybe you think about starting a diet on Monday and how easy it might be to stick to that diet on Monday and Tuesday and how much harder it is by the time you get to Friday and Saturday. Persistence is hard, but persistence in prayer is necessary, and so Jesus wants us to see this persistence here. Let's continue, and we're actually gonna stay right here in this same verse And then continue, I want us to see number two, not only the persistence of the the one who prays, but the graciousness of the God who hears. Look what Jesus says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he gives this illustration. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You see that with this invitation that we talked about, there's also this promise. That as we come before the Father, as we keep on asking, as we keep on seeking, as we keep on knocking, he has promised to answer and so we can approach God with confidence then because we know that he is good and we know that he delights to bless his children. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 65 verse two, oh you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. What a wonderful promise, what a wonderful thought that the God of this universe, the God who spoke this world into existence, the God who sustains it even now every moment is the God that we can come to in prayer knowing that he hears and knowing that he's promised to answer us. One of the most beautiful passages in the Bible that talk about this is right at the beginning of Exodus. So, you know, Genesis ends and Exodus starts and this new Pharaoh comes who doesn't know Joseph, didn't know the history of the Israelites there and and they're in slavery. And near the end of Exodus chapter two, This is what the writer says, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And listen to this, God heard their groaning, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. What a beautiful thing that God hears us, that God knows what we're going through, that God sees our needs, and that God has promised to answer. The answer is certain. Verse 7 and 8 make that clear. For everyone who asks, receives. What an incredible thing to say. And so what does this mean? Does this mean that just it's like a blank check? Anything we ask for, God answers? Well, no, obviously that's not what it means. And other areas of scripture would clarify that. But that's not Jesus' point here. He wants us to remember the fact that God does answer us. Charles Spurgeon said, you know, it would be a terrible thing if God always gave us all that we asked for. And I'm sure that we can look back on our own lives and think about prayers that we prayed that at that time seemed like, yes, this is what we need. This is a good thing. This is what should happen. This is what we want to happen. And now we can look back and say, man, I'm so glad God didn't give me that thing. I'm so glad that God didn't lead me here and take me here. And and man, it, it's awesome that that God doesn't give us everything we need, but but God does give us what we need. We know that from earlier in this sermon. So we come to God, and we have this invitation, we have this promise, and so we just have to ask, you know, what kind of God is this? What kind of God is he? A.W. Tozer, the great pastor and author, in his little book, Knowledge of the Holy, he's, he's famous for, for starting. It's I believe it's the first line of the first chapter of his book. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What kind of God is he? Is he the kind of God that requires convincing? My daughter Sloane, she's four and a half now, and really ever since she was able to talk, we've called her a little negotiator that she's always done it. You know, if you say, okay, Sloan, you can have one cookie. She'll say, well, how about two? If you say, all right, Sloan, we're going to go to bed in five minutes. She'll say, what about 10 minutes? She's always done that. And sometimes I think we look at God that way, that God needs this negotiation. You know, Jesus addressed this earlier in chapter 6, verse 7. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. God's not the kind of God that needs convincing to bless his children. God is the kind of God that loves to bless his children, that lavishes us with all blessings because of Christ. What a wonderful thing. And even more specifically, he is our Father. And that's what Jesus says as we look at verse 9, 10, and 11. He gives this illustration. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? So you think about maybe like those river rocks that would resemble a small loaf of bread. Well, it looks the same, but it's not of any nutritional value. You can't eat it. It's a terrible trick, actually. If your son asks for bread, you give him something that looks like bread, but is not bread. And then he, he says basically the same thing. If you ask for fish, will you give him a serpent? A lot of people think maybe he was talking about an eel here. Something that, well, yeah, it's kind of like a fish, but that's gross, right? No, no father's going to do that. But then he says this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's interesting as we look at this word Father, and we think about this idea that God is our Father. 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls God our Father. You know, the first time that he said it was in chapter 5, where he said, You know, let your light shine before men that they may see it and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And it's interesting that that verse in Matthew chapter 5 is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that God is called our Father. It's an idea that, that I think for Christians now we're so familiar with that it's lost the fact that it was a revolutionary idea when Jesus said this. The fact that God is our Father. And so we maintain This idea of God's transcendence and his imminence. And so what do I mean by that? God's transcendence refers to the fact that he is completely other. That he is distinct in every way. He stands apart. That's part of what the idea of holy means. That he is separate from us. In that same book, Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer said it this way. God is as high above an archangel as above a caterpillar. For for the difference that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite, while the difference between God and the archangel is infinite. God is completely distinct. But then we think about this fact that, that God is also imminent. This refers to his involvement in creation, that he cares about us, that he is near to us that we daily depend on Him. And so we have these two ideas of God that He is high and holy and lifted up and eternal. And also this idea that He is our loving Father who we can come before boldly, that we can ask Him and He hears us and He answers us. What a beautiful idea. You know, being a loving Father doesn't mean That you give your child everything they want. That actually would be a terrible father. But it does mean never giving your child something harmful. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. You wouldn't give your child stone if he asks for bread. You wouldn't give him a serpent if he asks for fish. And so what kind of God is he? He is our father. What kind of people are we? Jesus addresses this. And it's, it's funny because he says it in passing. But it's a very important point that I think it's worth us focusing on. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. We are evil. That, that word could also be translated wicked. It's not like a soft word. Like, you then, who are not perfect. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you then, who are wicked people. And, and what he's saying here in this context is, Every one of God's evil children get what they ask for. And so why is that? It's possible because of the gospel. The, The cross makes this possible. Our prayers aren't answered based on our merit, based on our deservedness, but they're based on Christ's merit and Christ's work. When we come before the Father, we come in Christ. That's what the author of Colossians says, where he says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. We've been raised up with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians will tell us. We come before the Father on the merits of Christ. And so if you find yourself feeling one day like, you know, I've really kind of nailed it today. I've read my Bible, I've prayed. And so then when you pray, you're like, you know what? God's going to answer this prayer because I'm just killing it today. And maybe other days you're like, ah, oh, man, I, I was in a fight with my, with my wife and I was mean to my children and I haven't read my Bible in a couple days, so God's probably not going to answer my prayer. We've got it all wrong. Our prayers aren't answered based on whether or not we deserve them. We don't deserve them. Our prayers are answered on the merits of Christ. What are we asking for? So we know that we don't just get anything we want, like a blank check. Uh, Luke, as Luke is uh, writing about this same passage, he, he adds one clarification. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But he says good things. Now we know, of course, that God, God can work all things together for good, but I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about here. The author of James would say, you know, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So we, we know that there are those prayers that are wrong, those prayers where we are not asking for what we should ask for. But j- earlier in, in chapter 6, we see that that God has promised to answer our needs. He's promised to give us everything that we need. And that's why we don't have to worry, we don't have to be anxious, we don't have to be afraid, because he's promised to give us all that we need. We've talked about, number one, the persistence of the one who prays. We've talked about the graciousness of the God who hears. I want us to see, thirdly and lastly, the kindness of those God saves, and this is what takes us to verse 12, the golden rule, and I want us to see what Jesus wants us to see here. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This whole sermon has been about a new kind of community what it means to live as a new creation, what it means to live as citizens of a new kingdom with new ambitions and new motivations. And even as Jesus says this phrase, for this is the law and the prophets, that should maybe ring a bell, that back at the beginning of the sermon in chapter 5, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so as scholars like D.A. Carson would look here at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, they would see an inclusio, what a bracket saying all of the material between chapter 5, verse 17, and chapter 7, verse 12 is now bracketed between here. So it all goes together. And let's see how the verse starts. It starts with the word so. Maybe your Bible might say therefore, and that's really what that word means. It tells us that, that, hey, what I'm saying now is connected to what I've said previously. But I don't think it's just this immediate context. I don't think it's just the few verses that we've been talking about tonight. It refers to the whole sermon. In light of everything that Jesus has said. Do we trust our Father to meet our needs? If so, then we can live like Jesus tells us to live here. And he says this word, whatever. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you. This is literally all things. He's not leaving any stone unturned. This is the same word that Paul uses in Colossians chapter 3, where he says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's a comprehensive word. We like loopholes. We like finding a workaround, but there's, there's nothing that doesn't fall under this word, whatever. And notice that this rule is stated positively, and it's not stated negatively. What do I mean by that? It doesn't say, well, do not do to others what you would not want them to do to you. And you might say, well, it's, it's the same thing, but, it, but it's not the same thing. You know, you could fulfill the negative side of that law without doing anything. But as Jesus states this rule, we've got to do something. We've got to be active. Do we like to be loved? Well, then we should love. Do we like to be given the benefit of the doubt? Then we should give people the benefit of the doubt. Do we like to be forgiven when we wrong people? Then we should forgive people when they wrong us. Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is a summation of the whole Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 22 Jesus would also give give the two great commandments and it's the same idea. He says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He's saying the same thing and really if you think about it, these verses are saying the same thing. We can't love people the way that this verse tells us to love people without loving God first. Another thing this verse does is, you know, we like to separate sometimes what we believe and how we behave. And even sometimes we like to prioritize them and say, well, you know, yeah. He's a complete jerk, but he believes all the right things, so it's okay. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't leave room for that. He says, no, what you believe affects how you behave. What you believe will come out in the way that you behave, in the way that you talk, in the way that you act, if you really, truly believe it. Because you know what? It's harder to love people than it is to read the right books and listen to the right podcasts. It's hard to do this, and we can't do it without asking for God's help. And so I think we see the connection there. You know, ask and it will be given to you. If you want to live like this, ask God to help you live like this. And by this point in the sermon, I think everyone who's, who was hearing it then and all of us now as we read it, we feel that the weight of Christ demands. What do I mean by that? You know, he started by saying I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I've come to fulfill them. But he's like, you know, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit murder. I say to you, if you're angry, it's like you committed murder. You shouldn't commit Adultery, yeah, you've heard that said, but I say to you, anyone who looks on a woman with, with lustful intent has committed adultery. And Jesus keeps raising the bar. He says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he ends that very same chapter by saying, so therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This message completely over and over emphasizes our complete spiritual bankruptcy. And it emphasizes our need to continually come before the Father, asking Him to help us. And so I think as we end, there's just a couple questions that as I was looking at this passage, it it made me think. And so uh, the first is, what, what do you need to ask God for today? What's going on in your life that you need to bring before your Heavenly Father? Maybe it's persistence that we we need to think about. What prayers have you stopped praying? What person have you stopped praying for? You think, you know what? They're too far gone. I've been praying for too long. God's not going to answer that prayer. We get tired. We get discouraged. What prayer do you need to start praying again? And then lastly, are we praying for God's help to live out this golden rule? Are we praying that we would live like new citizens of a new kingdom with new hearts? That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for all of us tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise that we find here. Thank you for the invitation to come to you. God, may you cause us to be people of prayer May we realize, God, that we depend on you, that our church depends on you, that we can't do it without you. No amount of wisdom, intellect, education is a substitute for your power and your help. And so may you cause us to come before your throne boldly, daily, asking, knowing that you hear, and that you will answer our requests. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.